Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today I am joined by Patrick Boyd. Patrick is the co-founder of National Custom Works and founder of Boyd Blade and Farrell. Besides making custom irons, Patrick is also a golf course architecture addict and was the longtime GM of Sweetens Cove. This will be another two-part podcast with part two dropping on Tuesday. Enjoy it, and I wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. How did you get into club making? Well, I mean, I got into club making, it was 2003 and I, um, you know, I'd always really been into golf clubs and I just decided I had some time on my hands. Um, I, I, I found a guy that had a custom shop that was pretty close to where I was working. I was working in a law firm at the time and, um, I wrote him an email and just was really kind of interested in learning about, building clubs and everything else. And I just happened to catch him at the right time. Um, he'd been in business for about a year and he had all these shafts that he'd pulled out of clubs. And I was basically the backroom bitch for, for this guy for like months. Um, and when I kind of got through everything, uh, he, he kind of taught me how to build clubs and how to fit clubs. And I mean, that was really kind of my introduction to the, the golf of, the golf equipment business. Um, and I'm still in touch with the guy too. He was, he was a great mentor for me. His name's Leith, uh, Leith Anderson. He's in, he's in Indiana. Um, but I mean, it was just, you know, it was one of those moments in my life where it was, you know, I'm, I, something I'd always kind of wanted to look at doing. And, you know, it was either you have this opportunity now to do it. I was, you know, I was 20, 25, 20, 26 at the time. And, uh, you know, just kind of dove into it. Um, you know, it, it, uh, I don't know, it's been an interesting rabbit hole to say the least, it's, but it's, it's kind of taken me all over the place living. And, and as far as just having different, different hats and doing different things in golf, it's, it's been a really fun ride. And obviously, you know, there's nothing I'd really change about it, but, um, yeah, it was just kind of an auspicious start in the back room of a, a custom club shop in Palo Alto, California. It's it's fascinating. I uh I grew up in on Wencia Club in Lake Forest. They always had a club maker, club fitter all the way back to like the old days of when that was the way it was and their famous yeah. guy was uh Hubby Hubjohn who's who's finishing up but but outside of that it for a long time I feel like the the mass production just overwhelmed the handcrafted work. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, and the, the, the timing was really, you know, this was like 2000, it's like 2003. So, I mean, you had places like there's, you know, like John Riley's in Monterey and you had, you know, Henry Griffiths kind of did a custom fitting deal and they had places all over and they're, you know, kind of manufacturers had tried to have fitting systems. Zevo was another one that had a fitting system. Um, but you know, manufacturers try to have fitting systems and it just never really worked out. And all of a sudden this, you know, kind of, this kind of whole other deal started opening up with, you know, guys that had the ability and the equipment to fit people for shafts and for specs and to really understand what somebody needs. Um, and it really kind of changed the paradigm of how people bought golf equipment. Um, but it was just, you know, it was interesting to kind of get into that really in its infancy, um, when businesses like that really hadn't been around that long. I mean, there were businesses before that were, they were buying cheap clone equipment and assembling it and selling it, you know, on selling cheap sets. But I mean, this was, this was a legit, you know, the, this was a legitimate performance deal. This was going in, working with the latest technology. And I mean, we had in his shop, we had a few different devices, but I mean, there was one really old school one, man, where it was literally like you hit through a couple of lasers and it would just like spit out numbers that were somewhat accurate. But I mean, 
having options for people to try and, you know, kind of the birth of launch monitors, it was really, you know, really this was kind of the beginning of it. And it was, it was interesting to be, um, you know, kind of, kind of there looking at and seeing that kind of change things and just really the evolution of where things went from there. Um, you know, cause there, there weren't at that time, there weren't any clubs with shaft changing technology. Um, you know, Nakashima was the first company that had that. And that was like 2000, five mm-hmm. and then you know that really kind of changed the way fittings were done and then all these all these connect systems really kind of got good and you know club connect systems got really good and 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 really easy for people to work with club makers to work with to build a fit cart for people to to really hit you know hit a lot of different different shots and clubs to see what they needed um it's, but you know it was it's fascinating it was, you know the guy I uh, I went to this guy a long time ago. It, it, you know, it, I've gotten fit. You know, he it was in high school. I had to be in high school. He's doing this out of his out of the garage of his his house in the northern suburbs of Chicago. His name was Dennis Pine. I don't know if you recognize that name. Yeah, Dennis Pion. Yeah, yeah. Dennis is like I know Dennis. He had yeah. a he was he part had a of Club Champion for a while and. Yeah, I knew him before he was part of Club yeah. Champion. So that was, there were there yeah. were there were yeah, I know Dennis. Yeah, so like that. Yeah, yeah. So I was I was got I went to his garage of his house when I was like I was a high schooler, <laughs> and then it became Club Champion, and he had an offshoot. It, but it's just crazy how this boom has happened with custom clubs, and then you know you're on the all the way on that one end of the spectrum now with National Custom Works, where you're doing. You know, the custom irons, which I think adds a whole nother layer and interesting aspect to the club making process. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, we're taking, you know, we're taking all that information that somebody's going to really garner through a fitting, figuring out the length, lie, shaft, the specs that they really need. And we can really take that fitting to the next level as far as crafting the, the clubs, most specifically the bottom of the golf clubs and what they need um, to kind of match up with their specific tendencies uh their preferences and the conditions that they play in um there's there's really a lot that we do that's on that side of it that's kind of really what the focus is obviously there's a lot of little aesthetic details that are really kind of tailored to a client's preferences but really the goal when we fit somebody for irons and wedges is just figuring out exactly how the bottom of that golf club needs to work for that person for what they like to do with the golf club and what they do with the golf club um so i'm not yeah it's it's it's, Go, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I'm not a gearhead at all. So you know, for all the listeners, I, I am I'm out over my skis here talking with this. So I'm going to ask a lot of basic <laughs> questions. Um, well, that's fine, but, man. But we can I, talk about other stuff too, if you I, want. We are good. We're going to we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff. But I'm I'm interested right. in in club. You know, I'm hoping to get a little more of a baseline. I'm I'm kind of I, I get fit. I put them in my bag. I forget about it. I don't even think about new clubs. <laughs> I refuse to hit people's clubs because I don't even want to try it. But I'm curious. <laughs> so with getting all this is this fitting, you know, and, and having the different soles and how much of an impact, like, does that can that have on on play on like your play? It's pretty dramatic. I mean, it, it, it first of all, it, it depends on how well you know, the equipment that somebody's playing actually fits them because mm-hmm. say, I, say I, you you've know, I've been gotten doing this, fit, I've, like a baseline fit. Yeah. So yeah, you've got the shaft. Well, that you've baseline, done... that baseline fitting that you just went through to figure out all those details of your shaft, your length and your lie, it's not taking into account the bottom of the golf club. Yes. I don't really know other than, other than us. And you know, there's a couple other wedge manufacturers that, that offer some custom wedges. Um, you know, we really kind of look at golf clubs a little bit differently. Um, you know, and, and the larger manufacturers, when they're making golf clubs, they're targeting a market segment. They're, they're trying to make a golf club that casts a wide net as far as the number of people that it's going to fit. Obviously there's little subsets within that. You've got game improvement, super game improvement, players, cavities, blades. I mean, there's all these little subsets, but the, the way they kind of engineer and design the bottom of those clubs is really kind of designed to cast a wide net. Some and they, they, they all are kind of interesting too. When you really kind of look at the sum of them, because, every manufacturer kind of has a tendency to how they set up those soles. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of manufacturers that put a lot of bounce on their irons. There's, you know, manufacturers that don't put a lot of bounce on their irons. 
some manufacturers have sharpish leading edges. They don't have a lot of camber. They're all a little bit different as far as how the bottoms of the soles are set up. There's not a not a standard per se. You've got a pretty wide range of, of, of things out there. And, you know, say I get I get a client that I'm working with and he knows all those details, but, you know, he's got a specific tendency. Well, you know, we talk about that tendency. What's going on with, with what you're playing right now? Is it is it going to the ground too much? Are you hitting everything thin? What's what do your divots look like? What's, you know, what's really kind of going on and really look at it from, from that perspective and then take into account what they're playing with. So, I mean, say I get a guy that tells me he's missing everything thin. Well, automatically I'm not going to think that he's a sweeper has a, has a narrow or a shallow angle of attack. I'm going to want to look at what clubs he's playing. If he's, you know, if he's got an iron that has a lot of bounce, I can understand right away why he thinks he's a sweeper. He's, you know, the leading edge is too high. The club's not really getting to the ground for him. So his tendency is going to be to miss it thin and, you know, vice versa. You get a guy that, you know, thinks he's really steep and you talk to him and the clubs he's playing don't have any bounce or camber and he's sticking these huge divots with them and he thinks he's really steep and he's really not. It's, you know, it's every, it's just, it's it, the fascinating thing to me, Andy, is like every, every client I work with, it's like a different puzzle that you have to kind of piece together. Cause you know, golf is such an individual game and people play it so many different ways. And, you know, everybody's swing is like a fingerprint and beyond that, you know, just, just how people like to play is different. So See, that makes so much every, every sense cl- to me because like when people ask me <laughs> for recommendations, like about like clubs or about balls I'm, or stuff like that, I, I just think it's so personal because what works for me doesn't necessarily work for anybody exactly. else. Oh, exactly. hundred percent, hundred percent. It's just, it's just so fascinating too. I mean, I've been, I've been like an equipment geek for most of my life. I'm 41 now. And I kind of really got into equipment when I was like 10, 11 years old. Um, just, you know, I was just like obsessed with golf equipment and like, you know, like 20 years ago, you'd go crazy. Like some, you know, some, some club would come out it would, it would be out there. I feel like there was a per case in point. Ping came out with their first metal driver, the Zing two came out. Everybody was saying it was 30 yards longer. It was this amazing driver and you just couldn't wait to get your hands on it and buy it. And that was the wooden one. I don't really know right? that. No, no, this was like, this was actually, this was their first metal driver. Okay. They came out with this metal driver and Jim Colbert was playing it. And Michelle McGann was playing it. And they had, I've, I walked, uh, was a tour championship in 90, like 92, 93. I followed Billy Mayfair had one in his bag. Anyway. Um, but you know, you'd go, you'd hear about these clubs and I subscribed to golf world because I was a you know, degenerate and I'd see all these clubs that were winning every week and you'd want to go buy stuff. And I, I don't really know that that's the case these days where, you know, this club is one X people, I, people are much more, I think in tune with what they need now than they've ever been with equipment. And I think that, I think people to a wider extent understand now that, you know, you should play with what fits your game versus what fits somebody else's game. Um, and you know, I, I uh, I was talking to someone at Golf WRX, and we were we were discussing discussing, and he had this really great phrase for us, Johnny Wonder, and he had this great phrase for us, taking ownership of your game. And I I think to an extent that's kind of what that is. Um, and I, I think you know people are more so uh, interested in taking a look at that now. And it's just you know as we've talked about, you know I think the last time I talked to you, um, just in general, just just the depth that golf is gaining, you know, I don't know that we're getting any bigger, but the guys that really love the game and that are really into the game, they're, they're looking for different ways to interact with the game and to go further down that rabbit hole now than I think ever before, because there are so many resources available to go down that rabbit hole. Um, You know, you're, you know, the fried egg being one of them, obviously, but I mean, there's, there's a, there's just so many more conduits to kind of get into that stuff now than there was 25, 30 years ago. Yeah, that, which is a, part of the thing that's interesting to me too is is the guys that you encounter that are into this is like you have these younger guys that are like in their twenties and early thirties, and at the same token, you have these guys that are like, you know, in their fifties, sixties that have been around golf their whole life, and then all of a sudden they have just this vast amount of information available to learn even more, and they're getting even deeper into it. Um, yeah, I mean the so, internet, and, and the internet. There, Internet was made for to allow people to nerd out. That's like the greatest thing about the internet is you can get like as nerdy as you want 
about certain subjects like golf clubs, golf course uh, any, architecture. Any, just about just about any subject. Although you know, man, there's there's definitely uh, there's there's definitely a bottom to that hole at, at points. There's certain there's still certain things that you can't really find out a lot of information about online, oh, including yeah. kind of what we do and as far as you know, designing golf clubs and the solo golf clubs. That's not really anybody talks about. There's not really a great resource for it really anywhere. And you know, as Don likes to say, there's not really a school for it. Um, it's, it's really, uh, it's just, you know, it just kind of is what it is. They say the, um, the secrets in the dirt, you know, that famous saying, but it, it's really the secrets, yeah. secrets in the soul for golf clubs. Absolutely. Maybe that should be your new Absolutely. saying. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, what, it, what, so I guess being a noted gearhead and you've seen just the technological explosion in golf. I'm curious, what would you say are are kind of the five or three to five biggest you know, equipment innovation breakthroughs in the last 25 years? In the last 25 years, that's a okay. That's a good question. Obviously, um, you could list ten if you wanted. You know, I don't. I don't. You know, there's. I mean, there's. There's been a lot of kind of milestone points. You know, I mean, going back, obviously, I mean, you know early metal woods weren't really any better than the persimmons that they were replacing. I was actually thinking about this this morning. It was like, nobody had went, really won a major with a, a metal driver until I think Olaf Abel in 94. I think that was, guys were still hitting persimmon up until then. And there were still some, there were still some holdouts after, you know, I, you know, Davis Love, I think, and, and, and Leonard being the last two. I was watching, um, uh, I was watching the 96 Vegas uh, invite the other day, the Tigers first win. And uh, Davis Love was playing with a persimmon driver. I was I I couldn't believe it. He had a Cleveland TC15 in his bag. He played that thing forever. The crazy thing is, Freddie played an old M85. Freddie, Freddie played like a persimmon driver that was from like the 50s forever, <laughs> like forever. He played that driver. It was unbelievable until uh, he had a big berth in his bag, and I think that's what finally kicked it out. But um. He played that thing forever. So back to your question. So, you know, obviously, uh, I'd say probably Big Bertha was like the first growing up that that and like the ADX 200 were like kind of a kind of a big deal. Like this is like late 80s and you know early 90s for Bertha um, because, you know, they were starting to get these heads that were engineered. that were a little bit bigger. They were putting different materials in heads that then were used before. You know, until then it was metal and wood and, you know, graphite shafts and were nowhere near as good as graphite shafts are now they were pretty high torque and kind of unpredictable and um so that would be kind of a kind of a stepping stone there um and then uh you know i would say man the 90s were a crazy time for golf equipment there was a lot of interesting stuff that kind of came out in the 90s um but that that next maybe the next big step from that was really when wound balls started to give way to the multi-layer balls the revolution, um, you know, up, the Max I, Fly. Yeah, the the Strata, the the Strata, the Top Flight Strata was the first one of those balls uh, that was out in the market, and it was, dude, and it was such a weird ball. Um, <laughs> I, I remember I bought I I bought a dozen of them, and I was going on a trip, and I'd played. I mean, man, I played Bellata forever. I played, I played the HT, I played the Tour Bellata. I played the professional, the last generation HT they made had a urethane cover. So it was kind of durable. And then Maxfly had this really awesome ball called the RM. That was like the last gasp of great, a lot of balls. It was like late nineties, early two thousands. Mm-hmm. And they were like, dude, they're like 60 bucks a dozen. And this is almost 20 years ago. You know what I bought the so, other day for $4? A I saw that's the sleeve. A sleeve of two or one hundred. Golf. The thing that the funny thing is when you think about this, like golf, golf ball manufacturers would love to go back to that because you think about what golf ball prices were like 25 years ago. They were about the same that they were now, but golf balls were so disposable. You hit a bad shot with one of those balls and it was done. Gone. I mean, even gone, just gone. E- even if you were striking those balls well, um, if you got a round out of a sleeveable lot of balls, you were you were feeling pretty good about it. And then the professional came out, and that was like the first ball that you could play more than a round with. And it would still, you know, it would still kind of hold up and eventually the cover would kind of shred and get beat up, but you could play that thing for a while. But the, the strata was like, you know, it did like the weirdest thing in flight. I mean, I, 
I, I have so many memories of that ball, like in flight, like you, you could just hit this bullet with it. And on the way down, it would just kind of like drift. Uh-huh. Like it would like drift left and it would drift right. It would just kind of wobble. I remember it would, like, just like wobble it, on the way down. It was, it was really weird. It had like um, a weird feel around the greens too, as I remember. And they were just clicky as hell. It was yeah. just it was basically, a, you know, it was a distance ball with another, you know, with a, with a layer in between the cover and the core. Um, and then obviously, you know, about that time too, you know, the great big titanium drivers started coming out. So the great big Bertha came out, which was like 250 cc's that came out like late nineties. And then like 2000, the biggest big Bertha came out that was 300 cc's. And you had, you know, you started to have these really good titanium drivers, but like the, the thing that really like was always really interesting to me growing up was like when you're playing that smaller headed driver, I mean, you really had to hit it well to get it to perform. And, you know, I mean, growing up playing junior golf, I mean, I, I wasn't like the longest kid out there, but I was, I was relatively long and all of a sudden, you know, you start getting this new stuff that's coming out like these larger heads. And all of a sudden I wasn't that long anymore. And the kids that I was 20, 30 yards by were pretty close to me. And before I, you know, before you knew it, by the time everything had really kind of changed, like, I don't know, mid two thousands. I mean, that, that advantage just didn't exist anymore because you didn't have to, you didn't have to hit it on the screws every time to get as much out of it. Um, you just had, you had some, some margin for error, but you know, you started to see stuff grow and then heads started to get bigger. And then, you know, I, I mean, I, I think the thing that, that really kind of is interesting to me was, there, you know, there, there's a certain point in the road when golf equipment was really designed, um, to be accurate. And at, at a certain point they decided that it was time to engineer it to go far. And that was, you know, really been the last, Oh, I don't know, last 10 years or so really with irons that you've seen that, mm-hmm. but it's, that's a know, fascinating the old, the old thing po- to me with irons is that people market how far they hit it. But like the point of having right, an iron right. iron is to hit it close. Right. I mean, that's, I mean, a hundred percent, man, my, you know, to me, like the, the, you know, what defines a good set of irons is, you know, consistent. They do the same thing every time they, you know, you know, even if you miss it, it's going to do the same thing every time. Mm-hmm. Consistency is that's, you know, that to me is the name of the game. I don't care what club you hit. If you can hit it the same distance every time, I'm sure you wouldn't really care either. Um, so, so I got a question but, for you. Yeah. I, I think about this. My cousin carries a, uh, still carries his fat shaft five, five wood. Where does, where's the fat <laughs> shaft rank in, in, in terms of maybe worst innovation <laughs> ideas of all time? It certainly wasn't a great one. I mean, it's just the whole, the whole, the whole, like the whole premise with those was like, they're just so thick. They don't torque. It was like, just supposed to be just, you know, but certainly not a great. Yeah. Certainly not a great one. Um, It's it's so funny. He brings it out and he never hits it. He carries it. I don't know why he carries it. Still, have you you hit it? Have you like (laughs) taken it out of his bag and hit it before? Yeah. I mean, the funniest thing. Yeah. The funniest thing is swinging it when you're practice swinging it and hearing the whoosh. Yeah. It's almost like swinging hickory. Yeah. You almost get, it's like almost like a similar like auditory uh, deal um, with that. Um, But, you know, kind of going back to what, you know, what, what we were talking about, um, you know, the thing too, that that's fascinating to me right now is I've been around golf a long time and, and just lately, like just how much interest there, there is in playing with um, older equipment. Um, You know, like 10 years ago or so was just kind of a funny novelty, but I mean, there's guys that are really into it and it's, I don't know. I, I think, I know you've been playing with that, that driver that um uh the louisville golf driver oh man yeah the jeremy the driver that jeremy gave you um i mean it how's that i mean how's that been for you has that been like because i mean i i had a pretty i had a i had about like 2008 to 2013 i could not hit a 460 cc driver and i gave up trying and i played precise i played persimmon pretty much all the time like for that and it like gave me like this i don't know gave me a deeper understanding for architecture playing with that stuff because you really did have to hit good tee shots because, you know, that 25, 30 yards of carry distance that you're losing with that really puts a premium on hitting it in the right place. 
It's, and all of a sudden, the bunkers and details that you weren't thinking of with the metal driver are like, oh, like it's just it's a different it's just like a different deal. Yeah. So I, it's been it's been awesome. I, I love it. I I think like what I've found that's been fascinating is is like stuff that I never would even see with like when I'm when I've got my regular equipment like my you know if i was i I don't even see these bunkers and you know it was eye-opening is if you compare it with like the older golf equipment it's even like it's crazy i mean when you're hitting like 225 drives and you're accustomed to hitting at 300 it's it's insane you the appreciation you have for the game (laughs) like i i played national golf links um with with the hickory and a balada ball, and it was the Maxfly HT actually. Um, and it what was, irons were you playing? You're playing your gamer irons or what irons are you ga- playing? Gamer irons, but like the you're ball, game, you're still losing. You're still losing at least a club. Oh no, it's like, like it was like twenty five yards. Yeah, it, I mean, like the the way, the, and then <laughs> when you're hitting into the wind, it's just a whole different game. It's it's just oh yeah, because the ball because the ball spun. Yeah, those balls spin like <laughs> it's like a wall. Yeah, like if you hit you, yeah, it's 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 very uh, it's very very different playing with that stuff. So it's it's been interesting. I play <laughs> I play that hickory driver with a regular ball, and it's like forty yards. If I go back with the ballada, it's like eighty seventy five yards. Yeah. It's it's just a yep. is it and it break makes the architecture so much more you know fascinating because like what what I think is. I was talking with somebody today about this. Is that, like, you just can't overpower a golf course. You have to have the full array of skills, which to me is hundred percent. It's just and a, that's how it was, and that's how it was. You know, a hundred years ago. Yeah, you had to have a full. You had to have everything to play good golf. Yeah, and with everything now, I mean, it, the game is just. I mean, you know, it's you know, I was kind of going on with you on Twitter the other day. It's just like it's so glaringly one dimensional. What? What? And the, I, I think. That, I had this awakening. I had this awakening at. I was playing the State Am two years ago, or it was the 2017 Illinois State Am, and, I, and we're playing a 6,700 yard course that's a par 70, and like I'm midway through my second round, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, God, like I haven't hit more than a nine iron into a green. Like, what is what is going on? <laughs> you know, like what? Like this is not the game that i grew oh, up golf. playing yeah no it's, no it's, the game you grew up playing you use your whole bag yeah it, <laughs> you know. and it's it's frustrating <laughs> for like i think like where i get frustrated and this is all like i think one of the biggest problems with with golf is people have a hard time removing their personal bias and like one of the things i've done well in golf is like long iron play and it's so in, insignificant now I'm the I'm in the same boat, man. My long irons used to be my favorite. You know, they're still my favorite clubs. They were like weapons, but now they're just like whatever. Like you see it at Sweeten's <laughs> Cove. Like Sweeten's Cove is a good example. Like it's such an awesome course because of the the way you know the birdie and triple bogeys always in play. But like the thing that happens is like. With the way the ball is in the clubs, like you you get wedges into a lot of those greens, and it, there's very rarely a, a long iron unless it's a second shot into a par five. I, I mean, it depends on how you play it. I mean, I I actually hit a lot of long irons out there off the tee. Uh huh. I mean, there's I kind of I I don't know, man. I'm I, an idiot. Though. I play I that driver course. everywhere. Huh? I hit driver everywhere. I, I don't. <laughs> I'm I just like I you know I hit driver out there. I hit driver on three. I hit driver on six. And that's usually about it. If mm-hmm. I'm feeling really good and the ball's going, I all hit driver on one. I mean, I, I don't even think about it on five. I don't think about it on seven, eight. I kind of have a spot that I really like on the right side. That's, you know, driver's a little, I don't need it's kind of overkill. I, I could, the way I play that golf course, I hit a lot of, a lot of three, four, five irons in spots, you know, three irons, a club in my hand, walking up to seven tee box. Um, but I mean, that's, you know, that's the fun thing about Sweden, about, excuse me. That's the fun thing about Sweden is there's so many different ways to play it. I've, I played the golf course with Rob. I mean, I can't even tell you how many times and 
I always laugh because like we go up to, we walk up to the tee. He's got a driver in his hand. It's like, dude, can I just like play one round with you where I just have you hit in spots? Because Rob's Rob's got some game, and he just always he just brings a big number in play. Like just it's just automatic. He's got driver in his hands. It's, but it's, I mean, that's you know, it's funny if I that golf course man. If I play competitively, I play I hit I just three iron to death courses. But if I'm not playing competitively, yeah, I just I hit driver everywhere because like I'm like, whatever, you know, listeners that don't know you, you've gained quite the Internet fame because of your role at Sweetens Cove. And you, you've been you were the GM there for a number a number of years. How did you get how did you even find Sweetens Cove? How how did you get there? <laughs> I don't know about fame, man. Yeah, Notoriety, you guys, maybe I don't you got some Internet I, I fame. I don't know about that. Your your but, vape, um, your vape well, I mean, clouds precede you. Yeah, the, <laughs> the the vape clouds that are actually on the ballpark blueprint. Uh, I was talking to Tom that did that. He's like, "Yeah, man, look, like there's a cloud on the edge of the deck on the blueprint." I'm like, "Dude, come on! I, you look really close, and there actually is a cloud." Um, but anyway, um, so the first time I saw Sweetens uh, was November. I think it was November fifth of 2013 um you know i i had a business called scratch golf with my partner ari who's one of my partners in national custom works um but we had scratch golf we were in we were in chattanooga tennessee and we moved the business here from eugene in 2009 and we we'd moved everything up to michigan um in 2013 i'd moved up there august of that year and i was down here to get my wife to move her up there and um we had we'd driven the day before out to out to uh out here to to see her and just my 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 friend Ari is like one of the greatest golf degenerates that I know um the the, the so the night before we're getting ready to leave he's like where do you want to play on the way down and I list off a couple of places I thought might be fun to stop I think Camargo I, I'm trying to remember where else I mean this is I'm trying to remember where else I was saying we could stop and he's like uh hey man let's go play Oakmont <laughs> All right. Well, that's nowhere near on the way, but all right, cool. So we go, we play, we, so we leave, we leave Detroit at like four in the morning. We drive to Pittsburgh, we play Oakmont, we get in the car and we drive from Pittsburgh straight to Chattanooga. And the next morning we've got, we've got a meeting with Rob and the, the superintendent at at Lookout Mountain Golf Club at the time was a guy named Mark Stovall, who's, who me and Ari are, we're still good friends with Mark. And he, uh, he was the one that was going on and on about it. we We'd seen pictures and stuff on um, on GCA of of, of Sweden's as it was kind of coming together, and kind of knew kind of knew it was out there, but we hadn't you know hadn't really gone out there and checked it out at that point. It was still you know still kind of in the early stages. Well, I mean this is when I saw it on GCA. It was well anyway. So so Mark really got us in touch with Rob, and uh, we met Rob. We met Rob in the that the next morning at Sweden's and. Um, I'll never forget it, man. I'll never forget pulling up in this van and there's this golf course just spread out and it's mostly finished. Um, I, I think the first time I saw it, it probably hadn't seen a mower for about at least four or five months. There was sand and probably 50, 60% of the bunkers, but it was, you know, it was at a point where if nothing happened, that was pretty much going to be going to be it. And we walked the golf course with Rob and we didn't do it. The first time we walked it, we didn't bring our, we, we just went out there and walked it with Rob and his two dogs. And we're just kind of going on and talking, talking with Rob as we're kind of noticing and seeing all these things. And the, the fascinating thing to me was, was talking to Rob and really um, kind of picking his brain about the golf courses that he'd seen and what his influences were. And, other than going overseas and seeing some golf in Scotland, he really hadn't seen that much golf in the U S at that point. He's seen, he's seen quite a bit more since then, but you know, he really hadn't seen very much. And, and, and in front of us were all these really cool little details and strategic elements that, you know, we'd both seen at other courses and it just, just the way everything was arranged and put together was just really interesting. And here's, here's a, here's a person that's seen pictures of, you know, seen pictures of this hazard, seen, you know, seen tenant PV, seen the devil's asshole, um, you know, just, just how everything was arranged with just, you know, just kind of his instincts and his creativity. Um, and it, it just, you know, I was just really, really impressed with the golf course and we got done walking around it. And I still have, I still have all these pictures the first time I saw it that I still look at once in a while. 
Um, and we get done, and he just kind of looks at us and he says, "Y'all want to go play?" And we and me are like, "Hell yeah, we want to go play!" So we grab our clubs and we run out. And I think we played. I think we we looped it. I think we looped it three times, and we forgot about the time change. And he had to he had to fly out, and I had to drive back. To, and we like, I think we're on like three or four, and we just like realized, oh crap, we got to get out of here. And you know, we kind of left, and just you know, the whole way home, we were just talking about the golf course, and. Yeah. He and Rob got really um, – he, he got involved with the project and Rob as, as far as getting um, getting the lease of the golf course going. Um, they were able to secure a lease on the course. Uh, it's like March, I think, of 2014. And then um, I was up in Michigan, and, and then my wife didn't really want to live in Michigan anymore. So I moved her down here in July of 14. I moved down here in October of 14, just, just the beginning of the month, uh, just before the golf course opened. And, um, I came out for opening day and, uh, Ron, Ron Witten was there. Um, Adam Lawrence was there. There were a few other folks that were there. Uh, Rob's partner, Tad came out and we played the golf course and just, I mean, dude, it was so it was so tight. I, I, I still laugh at how, I mean, dude, like opening day, it was, it was so good, but, it, but anyway, I, I, I digress. But what had happened at that point was they'd gotten the golf course finished. They got in the golf course open and they ran out of money. And I mean, basically closing day, it was, the, the well was dry and, it, and that was it. So the people that had, you know, really, you know, help get the golf course ready to go and ready to get open. Um, that was pretty much it. And Rob called me, I think the next day after, after that. And he, uh, he said, well, uh, well, I don't know what you got going on, but I need somebody out to run the golf course. And, you know, would you be interested in, would you be interested in coming out and keeping an eye on it and, you know, and being the manager? And I, I said, sure. So that's kind of how everything started. And, you know, the next day I was out there and we started off, uh, we had a, we actually, we had a tent that was up above, uh, there's a power pole up above the back tee on one. We had a tent up there for about two or three weeks and it blew away. (laughs) And then we got the shed. Um, and that first winter, that first winter I was out there, it was, it was me and Rob. And we were, you know, I, I was sitting up there and he was out on the sand throw. He was out doing maintenance stuff. And it was, it was the two of us. And it was like, man, what, you know, how's this, how's this going to work out? How's this going to go down? So we, uh, you know, we just kind of sat around that winter and came up with some ideas and got the golf course open. And, you know, the first year wasn't, you know, we didn't kill it. I wouldn't say we killed it our first year, but you know, started to get some notoriety and people started to come out. And then, you know, the following year, it just did, it really did, it really snowballed it, you know, as far as how that place kind of was released into the wild, it it just kind of, it really snowballed. We, we tried initially when we got everything started, we tried some pretty traditional um, advertising and marketing stuff. We did, um, we did some print ads, we did some radio stuff and we even, we did some TV ads, I think in, I think we did those in 2016. We did those around the majors, but um, really kind of where we, where we saw uh, the best, and you know, obviously the most organic, you know, growth of the golf course was through social media, um, through Instagram, through Twitter. Um, and just, it's just, it's just, a, it's just a new world, man. It, it's just unbelievable how things, um, how things grow these days that, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you don't, you don't know what would happen. Yeah, that's how, I mean, that's, it's just, that's how I found out about the course was a buddy of mine had seen the Instagram page who, you know, this guy had, this guy worked at, at for a man, a golf management company and he ran their social media. So he was like, so in tune and he had seen the pictures and it was, you know, and then I looked at him, I'm like, Oh man, I got to get out of here. This place looks un- unbelievable. The best were the phone calls that we used to get because I we we had like you know the pictures we had on our website man I get people that would call and they literally like question me about the pictures on the website and if they were real or not it was like oh there's there's no way y'all exist you're in rural Tennessee and you've got broom sedge and your golf course looks like that I'm like it it actually does and that that was like probably to me I was out there I was I so I was at Sweetens from 2000 uh, middle of October 2014 up until the beginning of 
October, uh, th- this October, and we we hired uh, we hired Nash out there. Um, the thing that never got old, Andy, was watching people on their first time out there. You pull up to this parking area. There's a shed, and right in front of you is this gem. And just the look people would get on their face, just like almost disbelief. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, you know, I don't know if you've, you've you've met John Al, you've met Midtown Chico, right? I don't think so. So he's he's been a regular at the golf course kind of since it, since it opened, and and like he he for years would just like I I he would just love bringing people out there that never seen it before. And just almost every time I'd see his car pull up, I'd just keep an eye on the guys getting out of the car. And they just, like, sit there, put their hands on their, on their sides and just kind of sit there with their mouths open. Um, but, uh, you know, it just is just unbelievable, though, going back, you know, going back to it. Just unbelievable to me watching that place really grow, um, you know, from just a, you know, just a seed to kind of, you know, where it is now in the in the golf Twitterati Um it's, uh, it's you know, maybe one of the more fulfilling things I guess in my life is 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 you know really watching that grow and being a part of it and you know I I look at it a lot now, um, where <clears throat> I think you know four years ago kind of where this where all this really started, I I had a I had a tremendous amount of, of belief in the golf course and I had a lot of belief in Rob. And it, it, it just, I don't know, it made it an interesting proposition to get involved with the golf course when I did. And obviously it, it really wasn't my plan when I moved back here um, from yeah. Michigan. It was, you know, I, I was doing some stuff for scratch and um, this just kind of happened. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard, it, it's hard kind of moving away from that and just being a part of it. Um, but I have a soon to be three-year-old at home and, you know, the last four years of a lot of hours of work. Um, lots know, of, just, lots of time in that shed. Lots of time in that shed. And it's <laughs> just, you know, it was just, it was just time to, time to spend, you know, time to spend some time at home. And I'm still, I'm still involved with the golf course. I talk to Rob still like every day. And I mean, I'm still involved. It's just, I can't, I just can't live in that shed anymore. I mean, it's, uh, there were some great times, man. I mean, the, 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 almost every day someone would come up and ask me, Hey man, like how often do you go out and play? I'm like, could you sit up here all day and not go play? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> but at the same time, the funny thing is, is there's guys in the golf industry that, that do exactly that. They look at a golf course all day and when they're off, they go home. Um, I mean, it's, it's is just, it, yeah, it's, it's not, I, I walk a lot of golf courses you know, but every time I'm walking one, I, I have the itch to play. But when I walk them is like when I don't have the time to play, you know, like if I have to go see three in a day, I'll walk them, you know, yeah. um, but well, it's, you, just, you gotta get it. Maybe get into that speed golf stuff, man. Start, yeah. start working on your running. Maybe that's, maybe yeah. that's the solution for you. I, I need to do that. <laughs> I, you know, I need to start running more. I, I've been just living this blog life. Of and seven. you can't like, and the thing, and the, and the thing too is you can't jump in a car. I mean, you just, I mean, you're just not going to really see, you're yeah, not going to you really see, see a golf anything. course jumping in a cart. Yeah. You don't, you just, you really don't. I mean, that's, you got to feel it. You got to walk it. I yeah. mean, that's, you know, that's really where you learn a place is just, you know, on, on foot. You're, you're at base level seeing what's going on. You're not, you know, yeah. Yeah. You, I, you, I like, you know, if, if I'm trying to like binge, if I'm trying to play 54, 72, 90, you know, 108 in a day, whatever, cart's cool but like otherwise man i'd i'd much rather i'd much rather just walk because yeah. you just you you just learn so much more about the golf course walking that's how you, um, you you look around and you just you you're 30 yards off a tee and you might see something on another hole that you're just like oh 100 never and, noticed and that. when would you ever have that when would you ever have that glimpse in a cart never you wouldn't ever like never yeah you can't you, <laughs> You can't. You play better too. You play better too. I just, to me at least, like you just, you know, you're walking in between shots. You're thinking about what's next. You're just, I don't know. You're in a rhythm. To me, just you are. You get in a, you get in a much better flow when you're walking. I also 100%. kind. I, I believe that four walkers is faster than four and two carts. I, I, that is a, a a belief that I will go to the grave with. I don't, you know, from running a golf course for forty years. I wouldn't argue with you. Um, I mean, especially if we're talking about, 
if we're talking about better players and guys that are playing ready golf, then absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously you get, you know, you get those that foursome walking once in a while that, you know, like they walk in a group together up the fairway, you know, it's just kind of like, you know, to me, it's like a good foursome is like, okay, you hit your tee ball, you scatter, you meet up on the green and you hang out for a second before you go hit your next tee ball. That's it. I played, but, um, I played a, I played a fivesome on a Monday this year with a bunch of guys that get it. We walked and we played in two and a half hours. You can do it, man. Yeah, it's it's you un- can do it. It's people were just hitting it. at will. But um, I, dude, the crazy the the, the the other thing, the craziest thing that I've seen, the craziest thing that I've seen like in golf this year was so so Tyson Lamb came out like and came out to Sweden's in August, and he brought I he brought like seventeen dudes. There were like eighteen of them all together. These guys banded together 18 of them and they went out and they played all kinds of these games and dude they were getting around in an hour and a half pretty consistently i went out like one nine with them and i kid you not there was a threesome and there was a threesome that slowed us up oh god I mean, it, was, it was it was the craziest it was the craziest thing i've ever seen it was so much fun because they, they, they'd go out they'd play like you know they'd play two-man scrambles they play card scrambles they, it was just dude it was it was crazy. So, but that's like the furthest. That's the furthest thing from what we're talking about. But so, yeah, something uh, <laughs> crazy to see that this year. Something that I think is crazy about Sweetens is that, like the, it seems like the majority of the business at Sweetens is from out of towners, and it's like, how is it a destination? Oh, nine, yeah. a destination nine hole golf course. How does that work? It does. And, you know, it's just like the fascinating thing is so, you know, we're the golf course is about uh, depending on where you are in Chattanooga, it's anywhere from about a half hour to about 45 minute drive out out there. We're about an hour and a half from Nashville. And at least half of the traffic that goes out to Sweden's Cove is from Nashville and surrounding areas. There's more people from there that come out there than Chattanooga. Um, I don't know, man. It's, it's a really, I've lived all over the country and it's just, it's just kind of a different place for golf. Um, and just, it's just a different, it's just a, it's just, just a different deal. And the thing that, um, so, so like I say, probably about half or half or more come from Nashville, maybe 20% come from Chattanooga and like immediately local, not a lot of immediately, not a lot of immediately local. And the rest are coming from Atlanta. They're coming from Knoxville and they're coming from, out of state, some of them from way out of state. The thing that like last winter, um, like the phone rang a lot and it was guys up in Illinois, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, looking for a break from the snow. And there were a lot of guys that drove, that would literally drive down, spend a, spend a day just killing themselves playing and, and would, would go back to work or whatever they had to go back to work for which is crazy for for you know for a nine for a nine hole golf course. That's it, it's it's crazy. But that place, dude. Honestly, I I, it's, I feel dirty just calling it a nine hole golf course because I think that place really transcends how you think of a number of holes. Because I mean, like the nuts and bolts of it. We actually sat down one day and we wrote we wrote everything out. And there's like dude, there's like seventy eight holes out there that we play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, it, that, but the cross. So. Like why it, I I was sitting at the ringer talking with uh, a buddy of mine from New York, and and I was like, and I I live in Chicago, and I was thinking to myself like if this place was within an hour of Chicago, it'd be impossible oh, dude, to get a tea be, time. We'd be packed, yeah, we'd Same be packed, th- and we'd we'd be like, and we could charge a hundred hundred dollars for it all day, and guys would you know, guys would be happy to pay it. Why it, it, why still, doesn't like, that it, happen? It, it, in Chattanooga. Dude, because it's like that's because that's how the golf market here is. The golf market here is more value driven than it is quality driven. Um, but it's not even expensive. Got, for this area, that's pretty much just about the peak of what people pay for golf in this area for public golf. Believe it or not, that's about that's about what people pay at the very high end for public golf in this area. And you've got you know. They're really, I mean, outside of us and, you know, Sawadee's a, Sawadee's a pretty decent little track, but, uh, you know, there's really nothing even remarkable or notable around Chattanooga. Um, and you know, it's, 
we still, Andy, you know, here we are, here we are four years later. I mean, once in a while, you still get somebody that, you know, rolls up and, you know, asks how much it is and they leave because they think it's too much. They think they think it's too much money. And we've kept the, we've kept the walking rate. The walking rates have always been cheap out there because I mean, it's, we've kept the walking rates cheap out there, but in this area really up until the last year or so, I really didn't get a lot of walkers. Like maybe I get like a dozen, 20 walkers at the very most, like in a week, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. But I mean, for this area though, that's, that's about as much as people are willing to pay for golf. And, you know, the mentality is just different. You know, I mean, you get, you get the guy that rolls up that, He's a golf course has never seen anything like it goes out, falls in love with it. And to him, it's, you know, the greatest deal around. Conversely, you get that guy that goes out there and never seen anything like it plays. It doesn't like it. I mean, it's, I don't know. Sweden's, Sweden's does a very good job of kind of calling out and finding its clientele because the people that fall in love with that place, they, it's like their hotel, California, man. I mean, they, they're there like every weekend or every chance they get to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, what, uh, what would you say, in terms of like why why is it with golfers it seems like the the natural tendency when when they don't when they haven't seen any golf course like it why is always the reaction negative i don't know it's like that mckenzie quote right about you know i don't know because you know a lot of people grow up playing bland uninteresting golf and to them that's that's golf we were talking earlier about how personal your views are to golf. And I think it goes kind of into that. I mean, if you grew up, if you grew up playing a, you know, a nondescript golf course, that was tree lined, didn't, you know, had greens. that didn't really have a lot going on, not really any bunkering. And that's what you knew as golf. And someone took you out to Sweden's Cove or, you know, I, the other comparison I always draw with that place is like Prairie Dunes in Kansas. Cause like you have like this, this wild, this wild golf course. It's just like this kind of a regional club it's just like a or a low excuse not even not even a regional club just like the local country club it's like what do people think in hutchinson kansas that go play other golf courses and then go play that place i was thinking about far removed from like it's just so far removed from like what you know is golf being yeah like what about the guy that's a member at prairie dunes from hutchinson that like he doesn't even know how good he has it you know no he goes to play some percent dude that's like he a, goes to play somewhere else, and he's like, "What the hell is this?" Like, I, <laughs> it's it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty similar. It's a, it's an interesting parallel, right? I mean, you have like you know, <laughs> just so so outside of the norm for you know, so so out, outside the norm of what of the other golf in the area is like. You know, it's just, huh? It's just some people just some people celebrate that difference. Some people don't understand that difference, and. I mean, you know, it's, it's such as life, man. I mean, That's you know, it. people aren't going to like everything and you're going to, you're going to lose your ass and go crazy trying to make everybody happy. So it's, I mean, it's like the, do, it's, your, do your thing. It's kind of like the inverse paradigm of, um, of what happens in LA where the very best courses like Riviera, um, LACC, Bel Air, they, you know, the re- now, restore Bel Air, like embrace the natural t- uh, look of the area with the washes and the barranca and the canyons. And, and then like all the other courses in LA seem to try and like hide it. It's like, they try and be like these utopias that aren't in Southern California. It's like, what, like, why wouldn't you look at these courses and, and take what they do well and bring it to your course? Or even think about it yeah. <laughs> because they probably don't. <laughs> what um so when when did you get like the architecture bug you know um i would say i mean kind of really i started to get interested in architecture was like it's kind of like in my late 20s i would say i mean i i mean i, I you know i was i was kind of lucky growing up i was you know i was a club brat growing up and you know i grew up in northern california and there was a pretty decent amount of good golf around where I grew up. And I think like probably like my first exposure to something that just kind of blew my socks off was like playing Pasa Tiempo when I was like 13 or 14. And it was just, you know, like we were talking about before, it was so different from the other golf courses that I had played like growing up. I grew up playing, you know, kind of a tree lined, smaller green, well bunker golf course, and then going out and seeing this place with 
you know, it was all kinds of wild. The golf, it was really actually kind of different than it was, than it is now. They've really done a lot of work out there, mm-hmm. but I mean, still it was just you know, these wild greens and just all kinds of crazy movement. And, you know, I mean, I, I was, you know, I guess interested in it, but there just wasn't a lot of resources about it then. And then, you know, kind of as I got in my late twenties, um, I kind of started to get more interested in it. Um, I mean, I, I think to an extent too, it, it, you don't necessarily, I don't know, get interested in it or you're not really steep in it until you played, um, you played a lot of golf courses. I mean, you can't really, I don't, I don't, it'd be difficult to be into architecture if you play 10 golf courses, but you play a couple hundred of them and all of a sudden you kind of start seeing and noticing all these differences and understanding why things are the way they are and why you like certain things and dislike other things. Um, but I, I joined, uh, I joined golf club Atlas and I think 2007, 2008. And that was really kind of, you know, that was kind of the, that's the primer I, that really kind of got me interested in it. That's um, when you, when you just, went full nerdum. Yeah, because, I mean, it was just such a great resource. It's still a great resource. I mean, you've got all kinds of pictures, great opinions. Um, you know, it's just, you know, there's just so much information on there. And it was just, you know, kind of an interesting thing. And then, you know, I, and honestly, too, you know, kind of the first, kind of the first trip I took to Bandon kind of started a little bit of that interest as well. In 2006, I was out, I was still living in California and, and Ari, um, Ari was out uh, working on something with me and uh, we went out and we played Pebble. We played Pebble on my birthday. And I remember being, I, I hope this doesn't offend anybody. I remember being so, I was just, I was underwhelmed. Like <laughs> we played pebble it was like a six hour round we were shepherded like just shepherded around the golf course wasn't in great shape i mean obviously there's some fantastic holes out there we got done with the round and i looked at him like man like is it me or is this place pretty overrated and he just kind of laughed and he said he's like he's like i'll tell you what man he's like in a couple weeks like take about a week off take a week off from work and and meet me up in oregon we'll go play we'll go play bandon and i i got up there I got up there about two weeks later and I had a week off and I get up there. I drive up from, from, uh, I was living in Menlo park, I drove from Menlo park up to Eugene. I get to Ari's house and he's sitting there in his living room and he's got like, I don't know, probably a hundred hickory golf clubs on the floor around him. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> You're putting my bag together to go, go play, go play out of band. I'm like, Oh, cool. Do you have a bag I can play with? So my first trip to Bandon was a hundred holes with hickory. Oh my God. And, I think that gave me a much deeper appreciation for that place. than I probably would have, if I'd gone out there, played it with modern equipment and I just really just changed the way I looked at golf and how a golf course could really play. Um, I hadn't really seen anything firm and fast fescue like that. I hadn't, you know, just how wild and natural it was and the shots you could play on the ground. I just hadn't really seen anything like that before. And that really um, was like a quantum leap to me in my, my appreciation and understanding of golf was my first trip out to Bandon. It's um, it, and it coupled with the the Pebble, like you know, I had like the similar thing with Pebble this year at at Whistling Straits, where you know we, it took us like six hours to play, and I I was just it just turned me so terrible. off. Yeah, there's so yeah, many. Dude, great, it's like you get. It's, I mean, dude, it's just the the marshals are like they're just there to just keep you moving, pretty much, and like it's just. I don't know. That's just not golf to me, man. That's yeah. not. I, that's, I don't know what you find enjoyable about that. It's it's funny because I I asked the caddies like, "Hey, is this normal?" And they're like, "You know, the fastest round we ever get out here is like five hours, five and a half." And it, it, to me, that's it's I. It's bad this, business. It's bad business, Andy, because they're losing. They're they're missing out on those replay rates. Yeah. Well, that's. <laughs> That's the thing is like I, but, I, man, I turned to my like buddy. A, even a four hour round of a four hour round of golf to me feels like forever. Well, like, just it just it just it feels it feels really the, long. Like, but that's the reality of so many golfers. Like, yeah, I I caddied my whole life growing up, and like, there four hours is is fast for a foursome on a weekend. Like, and it's it's crazy to say that because we're two on the end of the spectrum. But that's the reality. Like, four hours is is pretty fast for some people. The the thing that I I found crazy it's just like you know I could play Lawsonia for 
like a, a fourth <laughs> of the money and play twice as fast. Yeah. And, and I think it's a better right. golf course. So like what am I a hundred percent, man. I would, I, I concur with you in completely in total and entirely like it's, I mean, it's, I don't know, man. It's just, it's such a different time. You know, the other thing too is like, I just, I think the proposition for a lot of people is changing as far as like, when you go out and you play a golf course, I think a lot of people are starting to start to embrace like having fun. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, who cares if it's, 7,500 yards and it kicks your ass. Like, don't you want to just go have fun? Isn't that what you started playing, got you into playing golf? You certainly didn't keep playing golf because it wasn't fun, but I don't know. There's a lot of things need, a lot of things need to change, but. So you, uh, uh, Sweetens is certainly in the fun category. Bandon is is a fun course. Like being out there for four years completely changed my perception of golf. So like how I value, like just how I appreciate and enjoy golf. What are, what are the other most fun golf courses? You've been listening to the fried egg podcast. We do the digging for you. 